0: welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Well, I do want to mention again as we get started the uh, October fast. If you maybe weren't here as we began, we announced that today is the day where we Take that collection. That sounds kind of funny since we're not taking the collection. Isn't that funny? We're not passing plates. Isn't that funny? Uh, however, we've kind of been in this mode for a while. So there are white boxes out in the foyers uh, by the brown boxes where you, if you bring a gift, you can put it. Uh, so i just remind you of that. If you forgot, oh, I didn't remember that, you can go online. We don't have it up there, but it's southplains.info. You can go online, and, and uh, right there you can give and mark it for October fast. This is a great way to bless the children's home of Lubbock and the Texas Boys Ranch and helping them uh, feed the kids in their care. So I just want to be sure that, uh, that, we, that we don't forget that. You always do a great job. You're very generous towards that, and uh, it's meaningful. Other thing that's meaningful are little words. You know, little words can have big meanings sometimes. What does the word holy mean? For well, those of us who are older, legendary baseball broadcaster Harry Carey was known for the phrase "Holy cow." He said it a lot better than that. That phrase "Holy cow" dates back, at least as far as I could find, to the early 1900s. And uh, but the rumor is, but the rumor is, Harry used it to keep himself from saying other four-letter words. So <laughs> probably right. So we're going to be looking this morning at the word holy, uh, and there are no holy cows in Scripture, but the concept of holiness is a major theme, an important theme in all of Scripture. The apostle Peter used a reference from the Old Law, Leviticus, from out of Leviticus chapter 11, to remind the early church in 1 Peter 1:15, 1, "Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy." in all you do. For it is written, and this is what was written in the law, Leviticus 11, be holy because I am holy, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, so how is God holy? You know, we've been singing about it. Maybe I want us to stop and process a little bit, okay? God is absolutely perfect. There is no trace of sin whatsoever in God. He is above all. God's creation. He's above all creation, right? We sang that. There is nothing, we sang that also, nothing that compares to God. And all of God's attributes are holy. When you talk about his love, it's holy love. When you talk about his grace, it's holy grace. When you talk about his mercy, it's holy mercy. Even when you talk about his wrath, it's holy wrath. This leaves God completely set apart from all creation. There is really nothing like Him, which is why we're here. So the question is how can we be holy like God? Well, let's step back a little bit. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was to live differently than all the other nations. That That was the instruction coming in the law given to them by Moses. They were to be set apart, they were to be holy different from. So as God is set apart, the people of Israel were to be set apart. That's out of Leviticus 11. In the New Testament, the followers of Jesus are to be distinct from the rest of the world. There's to be a difference. They were to be set apart, holy. So as God is set apart, the people of Israel is set apart, we as followers of Jesus are set apart, by Jesus Christ. Now God's standard is perfection. He's perfectly holy. Which we cannot attain. We admit that freely, up front. At least we can not we can't attain it on our own. That's what Romans 3 is all about. If you haven't uh, read that recently, go back and give some time there. But Christ's perfect holiness becomes our holiness when we acknowledge him. And when we submit to him as our Lord and Savior, that's where our holiness comes from. We didn't get it the old-fashioned way. We didn't earn it. We didn't uh, work hard enough. We didn't get everything right. We acknowledged he's right, and we acknowledged he is God, and he is Lord, and he is Messiah, and he is our Savior. So we find this tension. There is a tension. I agree. Well, wait a second. God's holy? I'm holy? There's, there's a tension there between that. And there's a tension of holiness in the book of Haggai, where we're studying this morning. And in this third message, we, we want to begin looking at verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. So if you have it there, it'll be on the screen, but if you have it with you, follow along with me. On the 24th day of the ninth month, that's December 18th, by the way, in the second year of Darius, the Persian Empire emperor, The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If somebody carries meat, that is from a holy sacrifice, in the fold of their their garment, their robe, and that fold touches or brushes against some bread or some stew or some wine or olive oil or other food, does does it become consecrated? Does it become holy? If the consecrated meat touches a, something else, does it become holy, consecrated? The priest answered, no. no. Of course not. We knew that. <clears throat> then Haggai said, if a person defiled, that is their ceremonially unclean, if a person is defiled by contact with a dead body ew, and then touches one of these things, does it become defiled? And the priest said, yes, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people, with this nation. In my sight, declares the Lord, whatever they do, everything they do, and whatever they offer, everything they offer is defiled. Is defiled by their sin. Now, give careful thought to this. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another. They're building the foundation of the Lord's temple. When anyone came, listen to this. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When when anybody went to a, a, a wine vat to draw out 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the works of your hands, everything you worked so hard to produce, with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, this 24th day of the ninth month, that's December 18th, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Think carefully. Is there any... Is there yet any seed left in the barn? From now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Okay, as we've walked through this text over the last several weeks, let's recall, remember that that the people had returned to, to Israel from Babylonian captivity. Cyrus, the, the Persian emperor who had captured or conquered Babylon, uh, allowed all these people to return to their homeland. That was in 538 BC. And so Haggai, along with the governor and, and the high priest and all the people, returned to Jerusalem and they find it in ruins. They find it a rubble. And so they immediately began working on the temple, laying the foundation, but then they got discouraged. And they, end up, they ended up being discouraged for 16 years. Now, that's where the story of Haggai begins. They begin, that's August, they begin working again in August. But after one month, September, they were discouraged again. Now, in chapter 2, in December, they begin working again, and we find God will bless them. Today, where we just read, the people had been working for about three months, September to December. And they've be, been asking, they began asking, so where's the blessing? Where's the blessing? Notice the dates. That's important. In chapter 1, verse 12, it's, it doesn't say it in the text, but, but this is right. In, in, August, in chapter 1, 12, it's August 29th. In chapter 2, verse 1, it's September 24th. And then by the time you get to chapter 2, uh, 10, it's December 18th. And you find this pattern that they're, they're, these people are trying to do the right thing. They, they are uh, moving in the right direction. Their hearts are in the right place. But what we learn is that maintaining your commitment to God is demanding, but it's worth the blessing. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem, absolutely destroyed it, made it a a pile of rubble. And the people rebuilding are rebuilding now, and when they see the temple is going to be nothing, nothing in comparison to the former glory of Solomon's temple, that's what discouraged them because they don't have the power he had. They don't have the resources he had to do all of this. And all they've got is the rubble right there in front of them, and, and, and they're just discouraged. In his last message, Haggai encouraged them three times, Be strong, be strong, be strong. The task of rebuilding the temple was going to require a sold-out commitment to God. They couldn't do it on their own. They would need to lean on God. They would need God. Now what happens here, beginning in verse 11... Haggai goes and asks a priest basically for a ruling. He's he's appealing to the religious authorities. He knows the answer, but he wants the people to recognize something in this. Did you pick up on it as we talked through it, as we read through it? First, look at this. You get this example of consecrated or holy meat that touches other non-consecrated, unholy items. And now it might seem a strange example to us, but... But the people got it. They understood what Haggai was asking and what the answer was. What we learn is that holy food, listen, holy food does not transform unholy food. just doesn't. The second example is quite vivid in imagery involving a human corpse, a dead body. In Old Testament law, something defiled or unholy um, can make something holy become unholy. So something unholy can make something holy become unholy. So Haggai tells the people in verse 14, and so it is with you, the people. Okay, well, what in the world, then, does that have to do with us? Well, here, let me give you a, another example. This is, this is mine, not, not Haggai's. Which is easier to catch? good health or a cold <clears throat> yeah well one takes work, Jim, one takes commitment. That's right. Good health takes discipline, doesn't it? The other, catching a cold, it just you can you can be just sitting around and catch a cold because it's contagious. Cold is contagious. Last Sunday we talked about the future. And there was a lot said about what we could expect from God and why we And why we shouldn't compare the present with the past. The message today is all about the present. It's as if the people were asking or saying, yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to the future, but what about right now? How how are we going to get there, Haggai? I mean, we're we're laying this brick by brick. This is really slow go. and, And the martyr takes a long time to dry. We've been in this for three months. It's taken forever. And, and by the way, I doubt we'll finish, but where's the blessing? So what does a renewed commitment look like? It looks like this. Give God your heart and your hands. Back to the question. Which is more contagious, holiness or defilement? Well, looking at the examples, consecrated meat and a corpse, which is easier to catch? Well, it's pretty clear. Evil spreads more quickly than virtue. What we have here is a twofold question. If what is holy touches what is unholy, will it make the unholy holy? No. If what is unholy touches what is clean or holy, will, will it become clean? Will the... Mm, Will it make the clean unholy? Yes. Well, here's what Haggai's point is Impurity is passed more easily than purity. Now, you may be great. Jim, what in the world? What are you talking about? So, let me give a different example. Let's talk about two kids. We all get this. Two kids. One kid has a very bad case of poison ivy, the other kid. Is clean. In fact, he's just had a shower. No trace of poison ivy. Those two kids begin wrestling in the dirt. What do you get? This this isn't rocket science. Does the clean kid get poison ivy? Excuse me, does the clean kid make the poison ivy kid clean? No. The poison ivy doesn't go away, does it? No. What happens? Yes, in fact, you end up with two dirty and poison ivy kids. That's right. That's what happens. Holiness cannot be transferred. Holiness cannot be transferred, at least, not without God's help. And sin is highly contagious guy's trying to make a huge point with this illustration by using their own law about clean and unclean foods. When your heart is contaminated, it plays out in your hands. When your heart is not right, your hands will sin. Consider an example. If you were in a, uh, our adult classes uh, a couple of weeks ago, you uh, you talked about this example l- about lust. Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Talked about lust leading to adultery, or or actually lust being adultery, right? That's one example. Um, consider this verse a bit a bit uh, out of the way, but Proverbs six twenty five. Proverbs six twenty five. Do not lust in your heart, or do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her. It says eyelashes, literally, with her eyelashes. What? Don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. Even the mildest seduction can lead you down the wrong road if you're not careful. That's what the the wisdom writer was talking about. We are not in the sin management business, believe it or not. We ought to be about the business of sin killing. You can't manage sin. You can't dial it back. You can't just mow over the weeds. You have to uproot them. You don't just, because you don't just do sin, you are sin in the language of the New Testament. You don't just manage sin, it it must die. So Paul said to the Colossians 3 verse 5, Put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. And how do you do that? By putting on the things of Christ. That's how you do it. Haggai says, get your heart right first, and then your hands won't be defiled when you do God's work. In in Haggai 2, verse 14, we find this conclusion. Just restoring the temple is not enough. Right actions are not enough. It's your hands, your actions, what you do. It's your hands and your heart, your attitude. It's your your attitude and your actions. We have to ask ourselves, "What, what is my motivation? It's the obedience of the heart and the sacrifice of the hands that God desires. Both must be holy, hands and heart. But we've got to move forward. What what if your heart is not where it needs to be? Well, move forward in devotion, not backward into sin. Verse 15 says, Think carefully. It says it several times, actually, verse 15 and verse 18. Think carefully. What state are you in? The people in Haggai are turning around and starting to do the right things. This verse begins with the word now. Now think carefully now carries a sense of urgency when we start to veer off a path that we shouldn't be on we we need to come back now obedience to god shouldn't be delayed now so haggai digs a little deeper asking them how are you doing what shape are your lives in look at verse 16 and 17 that's what he's asking Think about what's going on. You you think you have 20, but you actually only have 10. You think you have 50, but actually there's only 20. What's going on? It's this idea. And this is the idea of it. You're working and working and working and working and working, and it just isn't amounting to very much. In fact, things things that you thought had been pretty good haven't been good at all now that you look at it. That should draw people back to God. Their sinful attitudes were causing them to move backwards. Now, you can choose sin. God gives you this freedom, this freedom of choice. God gives you this freedom. You can choose sin, but you cannot choose the consequence of your sin. You can choose God. You can choose yourself. You can choose your sin, but you don't know where that path will lead. And by the way, falling back into sin is always easier than moving forward in devotion to God. It's always easier. Verse 15, 18, and 19, all three say, begin from this day, from this day on, from this day forward. You can't really do anything about it, with, about the past, except give it to God. You really can't do anything about it except offer it up to God, look at it at this point, and then move forward. And those who are deeply aware of their own past, their own sinful past, are the same ones who are most deeply affected by God's grace. Probably the best example is a little story found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 40, where you have a woman with a terrible, awful, sinful reputation who comes to a dinner where Jesus was the guest of honor, almost interrupts it and and, and anoints Jesus' feet right in front of the disciples and the whole crowd at the table. She uses oil from a very expensive uh, jar, and she weeps the whole time she's doing this, and she lets down her hair and dries his feet with her hair. It's a very poignant story as you read it. Many there objected to her, Jesus letting her do that. Uh, You're the Messiah. You're holy. And she's a sinner. She's unholy. What are you doing letting someone unholy touch the Messiah? And Jesus responds this way. You didn't do anything for me. But she's completely devoted to me. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Or at least he who is unaware of his sin, loves little. Those who truly understand their sin understand the gravity of God's forgiveness, understand the immensity of God's forgiveness, and they love Jesus with a complete devotion. When you get to verse 19 in, in Haggai, it tells us that the people got it right. From this day on, I will bless you. How, do you, know you. how do you know they got it right? Because God blesses them. They chose right. They chose God's way, not their way. And they experienced God's renewal. Don't miss this. As quickly as God will hold you accountable for your sin, just as quickly he will forgive you your sin. If you'll just ask him. If you will acknowledge him. If you will submit yourself to him. Would you receive his love and his mercy? Maybe this morning that's where you are, and you need to make that choice. We would love to assist you in doing that. Maybe maybe you've been struggling with this. Maybe you've been struggling with the fact that God has forgiven you, and you haven't quite got that. You're still asking God to forgive you for stuff in the past that you've already asked, and he's forgiven, but you're still struggling with it because you've refused to let it go to God. Maybe this morning is the time you accept his healing grace in your life. We'd love to help you you if we can. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.